wow, I was so captivated by that that I almost forgot to come up here. I just sat there. That was amazing. Uh, can I pause and tell you that uh, these videos that you see weekly, the artwork that we see weekly, uh, that is done in-house by our incredibly talented Nick Gonzalez. And you know that I'm not exaggerating when I say that we have a top-notch uh, visual arts director here at our church. I mean, this is top-notch stuff uh, that, that he creates uh, for us to be blessed by. Uh, and every, every new series, every week, I'm just blown away by the gift that God has given to him. So I, today, I really, I sat there, I almost forgot to come up here. It was that captivating. And so thank you, Nick. Thank you for just being so, oh, just faithful to, to your gifting. Really, it's amazing. My name is Tim. I serve as our lead pastor. If this is your first time visiting our church, a special welcome to E-Free Church. If you're visiting from out of town, maybe over the, the long weekend, a special welcome to you. We hope that you will experience the, the warmth of Jesus in this place. And I trust that you will. Uh, I want to take a moment and reflect back on last Sunday. I know a lot's happened since last Sunday because we've had Thanksgiving with your families and loved ones. It's been a kind of a long week. For some of you, you've had a few days off. But if you reflect back on last Sunday, we had an amazing Friendsgiving feast, didn't we? It was just wonderful. So please, let's thank our wonderful team. Uh, they, they fed us not just a meal. They fed us a feast an entire turkey feast, so much so that I took home leftovers. And I had turkey on Monday, Tuesday, <laughs> Wednesday, oh, and then, of course, Thursday was Thanksgiving. Then I had some more turkey on Friday and Saturday. Uh, so thank you to our amazing team for blessing us. Really, it was just a wonderful Thanksgiving, Friendsgiving feast last Sunday. Uh, Yin mentioned that Christmas is here, and we're looking forward to the Christmas season in our church this Christmas season, Christmas uh, Eve lands on a Sunday. So Sunday morning, December 24th, we invite you here for a church-wide service. That day is special because we're having one church-wide service at 10 a.m. All right? And so we won't have our usual 9 and 1045 services for that Sunday, but we'll have one church-wide service at 10 a.m. It's going to be special. We'll have special music, and we'll hear the Word of God. And we're looking for singers to round out our wonderful choir. We've put together a wonderful choir, and they're putting the final pieces together. And the first rehearsal I hear is a week from today, uh, next Sunday, following second service. And so if you would like to join our Christmas choir, please reach out to Eddie Lee, our worship arts director, at E-D-D-I-E-L, at efreedb.org. We're looking forward to filling the stage with your beautiful voices. On that Sunday, Eddie will give you all the necessary information, including rehearsal times. Well, would you bow with me? I want to go before the Lord and pray and ask for his presence upon his word. Lord, thank you for this gathering in this place. Thank you for being just an awesome God. Worthy of our praise. Worthy of our worship. Now, Lord, we open your word and we worship you through your word.
As we do so, would you teach us in a way that would transform our lives so that we will look more and more like our Savior, Jesus Christ. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. Now, when you think about the word wonder, okay, the word wonder, it it brings up all kinds of thoughts and images. If you go to the dictionary and you look up the word wonder, W-O-N-D-E-R, it comes, uh, you're, you're given a few different definitions of the word wonder. Wonder can mean a sense of curiosity. A curiosity about something. You want to know something. Hmm, I wonder what they're going to serve at the dinner party next weekend, right? And usually I always wonder about food, okay? Hmm, I wonder what they're going to serve at the wedding reception. Hmm, I wonder where we're going for lunch today. So wonder is a sense of curiosity about something. The dictionary also says that wonder is a, uh, an idea of this sense of a remarkable event or thing, right? So wonder can refer to this remarkable thing or event. Venice, Italy is a place of wonder and beauty. And we discovered that firsthand a few months ago. Venice is a place of wonder and beauty. Wonder can also refer to this feeling of admiration and amazement toward a person. Over the summer, I got to watch uh, Shohei Otani of the Angels pitch and hit in person. Now, by the way, Shohei just won his second MVP award, Most Valuable Player Award. He's the best player on the planet. And I got to watch him in person at Angel Stadium. And so we got our seats deliberately right behind the Angels bullpen in left field. And so our seats were right behind the bullpen. And when you watch your favorite athlete on TV, it's hard to get a scale of the size of that athlete until you see that person up close and personal. And so our seats were right behind the bullpen. And we got to watch Shohei Otani warm up before the game. And just seeing him in person, I just, I was in awe and wonder because of his sheer size. And then after his warm-up pitches, he took his ball, and before he was going out onto the field, he tossed it into the stands, and the little boy caught the ball. And the little boy turned to his dad in wonder, like, wow, Shohei threw me the ball. Wonder, amazement, admiration, curiosity. Well, For the next several weeks, as we make our way to Christmas and then through Christmas and into the new year, I hope you stay curious because if you do, you will marvel at the wonder of Jesus Christ. And if you stay curious as we dive into this amazing gospel, the Gospel of John, for the next several weeks, I guarantee you will be in wonder. You will see the amazement, the beauty, and you will marvel at this person of Jesus Christ. The title of this morning's message is, Before There Was Time, There Was Jesus. Before there was time, 
there was Jesus. And we're going to be in chapter 1 of John, the first of five verses. And throughout our series, as we unpack this amazing gospel, we're going to learn about the uniqueness of John's gospel. The gospel of John was written by the apostle John. John was one of the 12 disciples. He was a son of Zebedee. His brother was James. And the gospel of John is one of four gospels, gospels we see in the New Testament. Matthew, Mark, and Luke are the other gospels. Now, if you were to sit down, and if you were to read all four gospels at one time, you would notice something very specific. Matthew, Mark, and Luke are similar as gospels. They are similar in their accounts to each other. They tell many of the same stories. In fact, sometimes, word for word, they tell the same stories. So Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And that is why they are known as the synoptic gospels. Synoptic gospel meaning a common perspective. Synoptic means a common perspective. So Matthew, Mark, and Luke are called the synoptic gospels. In fact, here's an interesting stat for those of you who love stats. I love stats. So this excites me. Did you know that 90% of Mark's gospel, 90% of the stories in Mark's gospel can be found in either Matthew or Luke's gospels? So 90% of the stories you see in Mark can be found in Matthew or Luke, sometimes in both. Get this. 90% of John's gospel is unique. 90% of John's gospel is unique to his gospel. I find that amazing, incredible, fascinating. And that's why you have the synoptics, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And then you've got John's gospel. And John's gospel is, is different in so many ways. The other Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they are generally in chronological order. John's Gospel, no, not so much. John bounces around from place to place, time to time. Now, the other three Gospels are generally uh, stylistically the same. They have the same literary form. In other words, uh, when you read Matthew, Mark, and Luke, what you'll find is this. Those authors, they describe events in short episodes. John's gospel, very different. When you read John's discourse and his conversations between Jesus and individuals, John spends a lot of time in those conversations. And we're going to look at some of those conversations throughout this series. And so here in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, short episodes, John, he wants you to sit down, pull up a chair. He's going to take you through this conversation between Jesus and Nicodemus, between Jesus and the woman at the well, and so on and so on. Very different stylistically. And there is one major difference between John's gospel and the synoptic gospels. 
There is one important omission from, John, from John's gospel. Did you know that you will not find a single parable in John's gospel? Fascinating. John has omitted the parables from his gospel. Throughout 21 chapters, you will not find a single parable. But why? Well, there's a reason why John deliberately omits parables from his gospel. Elsewhere in the gospels, Jesus says why he spoke in parables. Right in Matthew, the disciples asked Jesus, Jesus, why do you speak in parables? It's kind of confusing to a lot of people. And Jesus responds, he says, though seeing, they do not see. Though hearing, they do not hear or understand. So Jesus spoke in parables partly to conceal the truth from those who had already rejected him. If they weren't going to listen, if they weren't going to pay attention, if they did not believe, then the truth would not be revealed to them. That's why Jesus spoke in parables throughout his ministry. And the reason why the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, focus a lot on his parables is because they were writing specifically to an audience and he was introducing the Jewish Messiah to this audience. John, he was writing to a whole new generation of Christians and a whole new generation of people who did not hear the gospel yet and who needed to hear the gospel so that they could believe. You see, because John wrote his gospel later than Matthew, Mark, and Luke. So Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they wanted to introduce Jesus to the community from which he came. People, here is your Jewish Messiah. John, writing later, he's writing to a whole new generation of Christians and a whole new generation of people who had not yet heard the gospel. So the parables for him, you know what? Okay, this generation here, it would speak to them. Here, you know what? I'm going to just focus on revealing Christ. So over here, the synoptics, they, they focused on partly concealing the truth from those who had already rejected Jesus, namely the religious leaders. Here, John says, you know what? I'm going to reveal the truth, reveal Jesus to a whole new generation so that you would believe. And that brings me to the purpose of this gospel. Throughout this series, I want you to think back to four specific words I'm going to give you right now. Here is the four-word purpose of the gospel of John. That you may believe. That's the purpose of the gospel of John. That you may believe. These four words give us the straightforward, simple purpose of John's gospel. And that's why it's part of our series title. 
the wonders of Jesus, that you may believe. And these words are taken directly from John's gospel. In John chapter 20, verses 30 and 31, it says this. Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. That you may believe. That is the purpose of the Gospel of John. So, with all that as our backdrop, by the way, I'll give you a quiz next Sunday. With all that as our backdrop, I invite you to open up now to the Gospel of John. Chapter 1. I'm going to start in verse 1, and I'll read to you our passage for today in its entirety, John 1, verses 1 through 5. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him, all things were made. Without Him, nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. In the beginning was the Word. Now, words are powerful, aren't they? We know that. Words are very powerful. Let's think about this. Words spoken about us, or words spoken to us, they can dramatically affect our mood. Whether it's in a positive way or a negative way. A word of encouragement, it can lift your spirits just like that. Abiding word can make you feel demoralized just like that. The reason why words are so powerful is the very fact that Words reveal the heart. They do. Our words reveal the heart. Every time we say something, which, by the way, includes writing an email, a letter, a text, a social media post, whenever we say something, those words that we choose reveal much about our hearts. If you were here last Sunday, you might recall that we said that the heart is a good gauge. It's just an unreliable guide. Remember that? The heart is a good gauge because the heart is where our emotions and our desires dwell. So it tells you about the heart. It's just not a good guide. It's not a reliable guide. So if the heart is a good gauge, even if we say to someone, no, 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 I didn't mean it. Let's say words come out of your mouth. I didn't mean it. I was just joking. The fact of the matter is, we chose the words we chose. And they came out of our mouths. And our mouths only speak what's in our heart. So words are powerful. Because they reveal the heart. Because even if you say, I didn't mean it. Don't take me seriously. 
I'm just joking. Well, that in and of itself reveals a bit about the heart. Well, here in the opening verse in John's gospel, he sets the tone for us right away, and he reveals to us God's heart. In the beginning was the Word. Now, let's focus in on the word, word. Got it? Let's focus in on the word, word. In the original Greek language, word is the word logos, often pronounced either logos or logos. Either pronunciation will do. L-O-G-O-S. Logos simply means word. And word, logos, it has deep roots in both Jewish and Greek thinking. So, so stay with me here for the next few minutes, okay? I promise, I mean, this, this, this is good heavy theology right now, and it will be for the next few minutes. Stay with me, okay? Because uh, we love all things good theology, right? Amen? Yeah. And so stay with me, because this will all tie in later on at the end of the message. But for the next few minutes, it is dramatic. It is so important that we stay with this. And by the way, Eddie, thank you so much for those songs because we sang much about the Trinity this morning, didn't we? And that's going to factor in. That's going to come into this discussion in just a few moments. But the word, logos, it has deep roots in both Jewish and Greek thinking. Jewish rabbis, they often refer to God in terms of his word. So I'm going to show you a passage in Exodus 19, verse 17. Take a look here. In Exodus 19, verse 17, it says this. Then Moses led the people out of the camp to meet with God. And they stood at the foot of the mountain. Look at the phrase, meet with God. Ancient Hebrew editions of the Old Testament, they change the phrase, meet with God, and they write, meet the Word of God. So if you look at ancient Hebrew editions of Exodus 19, verse 17, it'll say, then Moses led the people out of the camp to meet the Word of God. You see, because in the mind of the ancient Jews, the phrase, the Word of God, was synonymous with God himself. Now, Greek philosophers, they saw the logos, the Word, as a power that puts sense into the world to order the world from a chaos to an orderly world. So, in John's opening line, here's what he's saying. In essence, when he says, in the beginning was the word, what he's saying is this. Jews and Greeks, for centuries, you've been talking about, you've been thinking about, you've been writing about the word. Well, guess what? I'm going to show you the word. And his name is Jesus. We're told that the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Now, what I find fascinating is the name Jesus is not even mentioned until verse 17. John just builds it up, but it's very obvious who the Word is. 
The Word was Jesus. Jesus was with God in the beginning. That's why the title of this morning's message is, Before There Was Time, There Was Jesus. Now, where else in the Bible do we read the words in the beginning? Genesis 1, 1, of course. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And so, Jesus was with God in the beginning. That's why it is no accident that John says, in the beginning, he uses those same words. In the beginning was the word. This is all part of what we call the Trinity, what we sang about in our earlier songs. Here's a good definition of Trinity. Trinity is God is one God who exists in three distinct persons, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Each person is fully God, and yet he is not three gods, but one God. It's important that we understand this. Now, later in our series, we'll talk about how Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, took on human flesh. And that, of course, is the reason why we celebrate Christmas. But it is critical for us to know that Jesus existed before he took on human flesh. By the way, can we go back to the slide, Trinity? Just in case, if some of you are writing down the definition, I want to give you plenty of time to write this down. God is one God who exists in three distinct persons. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Each person is fully God, and yet he is not three gods, but one God. It is imperative that you and I know that Jesus existed before he took on human flesh. That is why, here's another fascinating fact about John's gospel. That is why John chooses to begin his gospel from the very beginning of time. If you read Matthew's gospel, Matthew starts with the genealogy of Jesus. If you read Mark's gospel, Mark starts with Jesus' public ministry. If you read Luke's gospel, Luke begins with the birth of Jesus. Again, synoptics, similar perspective. John says, hey, I'm a little bit different. That's great. Genealogies are great. The start of a ministry is great. The birth is wonderful. I'm going to take us all the way back to the beginning before creation. Look again at verse 3. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. We must know that the Son was with the Father at creation. This one fact distinguishes Christianity from all other faiths. 
I still remember many years ago as a college freshman on the campus of UCLA, walking around Bruin Walk, being handed flyer after flyer from this religious group and that religious group inviting me to their respective groups. That first week as a freshman, I received so many flyers from all kinds of religious organizations. Hey, come to our group tonight. Come to our group tonight. And as I looked at these flyers, one thing was very clear. The vast majority of these groups, they promoted Jesus as a, a prophet, a, a rabbi, a good moral leader. Some even promoted him as a god, a little god. Now, I'm thankful because as a freshman, I'm so thankful that I, I entered college with a, a firm, grounded faith. And I'm thankful because having grown up in church, and my dad being a pastor, I was able to be grounded so that I could discern. That's why I'm so thankful for you students who are learning under our pastors and leaders in your youth ministries, in our kids' ministry, that you're being grounded so that by the time you get to college, you will be able to discern truth from error. I want to read to you a passage, a parallel passage to John 1. This passage is in Colossians 1, written by the Apostle Paul. In verses 15 to 17, Paul writes this, The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. The Son is the image of the invisible God. The word image in verse 15, it comes from the Greek word akon, E-I-K-O-N. And akon means perfect replica. Akon is where we get our English word icon. Now earlier we talked about the word. The word is logos. Logos is a symbolic representation. So when you see a swoosh on a shoe, you know the brand. When you see the golden arches, you know which fast food place that is. So a logo is a symbolic representation. An icon is a perfect replica, and they share many similarities because they represent something. That's why John uses logos. That's why Paul uses akon. Jesus is the perfect representation of God the Father. When my son Andrew was born, here's what happened. Both grandmothers, my mom and Joanne's mom, the minute Andrew was born and the minute they came to the hospital to see Andrew, they took one look at Andrew. They said, oh, he looks just like you, Tim. Both mom, both grandparents, my mom and Joanne's mom, they both said, oh, he looks just like you, Tim. 
And as Andrew was growing up as a little baby and a toddler, everywhere we went, people were like, oh, he looks just like you. He looks just like you. Facebook even thinks so. So when I hover over a picture of Andrew on Facebook, it wants to tag me. So he's like this perfect replica of his dad, like father, like son. What most people don't know is that when I was a baby, and you look at Amanda's baby pictures, she looks even more like me. In Christ, we have the exact image of the invisible God. That is something no other faith can claim. He is the image of the invisible God, and he was there with God the Father at the beginning of time, creating the universe. You know, we often forget just how big our universe is because we're so wrapped up in our own little worlds, right? Let's face it. We have our own problems. And so we forget just how big the world is. Can I just take a moment to put into perspective how big the world is? Now, we know the sun is large. But from our perspective, let's face it, we can cover the sun with our hand, right? I can cover the entire sun with my hand. It's large, but it doesn't seem that large. I could even hold the sun in my hand and take a picture. So from our perspective, it doesn't seem that big until we realize, well, the sun is 93 million miles away. And yet it could easily burn the skin in a matter of minutes. The fact that we can even see an object 93 million miles away tells you how big that object is. Check this out. If you were to drill a hole in the top of the sun and start dropping in earths, you could drop in 1.2 million earths into the sun and still have room for 4.3 million moons. The sun is that massive. And in case you were wondering, if you were to hop onto an airplane and head for the sun, I would say, see you in 38 years. Because it would take you 19 years to get to the sun. And 19 years to come back. That's how big our universe is. And by the way, I'm not even outside of our galaxy yet. Jesus Christ holds every star in every galaxy in the universe in his hand. Every star is held together by Jesus Christ. No other faith can say that. That's why Hebrews 1 verse 3 says this. The sun is the radiance of God's glory. I like that, right? The sun, S-O-N. The sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. Remember, words are powerful, and there's no greater word than the word of life, Jesus Christ. I want to read to you another passage in 1 John 
chapter 1, verse 2, which is also written by the Apostle John. In 1 John, here's what he writes. In 1 John 1, 2, he says, The life appeared. We have seen it and testified to it. And we proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and has appeared to us. Earlier, we said that John was amongst the 12 disciples. He was also part of a smaller group of friends. So Jesus had the 12, okay? And then he had his smaller friend group. Three of the men made up that friend group. They were John, his brother James, and Peter. So this was like Jesus' inner circle. But even within that friend group, there was one who stood closest to Jesus. And that was John. And by the way, what's fascinating is John never mentions himself by name in his gospel. But he does so in a more, I think, creative and endearing way. Okay. Here's how we know that John wrote the gospel of John. In John 13, verse 23, John writes this. He says, one of them, the disciple whom Jesus loved, was reclining next to him. I love the way he, he describes himself. Oh, by the way, uh, the, the one that Jesus loved, uh, not the 12, not even the three, just me. The one whom Jesus loved was reclining next to him. You got to love that about John. But in case you think John was being biased, He was so close to Jesus that Jesus entrusted to John the care of his own mother. John was that close to Jesus. He was the beloved disciple. He had a personal encounter with Jesus. And before you and I think that, you know what? It's hard for us to have that same encounter with Jesus. We weren't there. We didn't touch him. We didn't spend time with him. Well, think for a moment that the Apostle Paul didn't meet Jesus until after Jesus' resurrection. And what John is saying to us today in the 21st century is a whole new generation of Christians and a whole new generation of those who need to hear the gospel, you can have just as an amazing encounter of Jesus as I have had. For those of you who have put your faith in Jesus, I'd like you to consider a question for me right now. How has Jesus changed your life? Just think about that question. How has Jesus changed your life? Now, the obvious answer to that is, well, he's given me eternal life. But here's a follow-up question. How is Jesus changing your life right now? That's an important question. Because while our eternity in heaven is secure, how we live our lives this side of eternity matters.
For those of you who have put your faith in Jesus Christ, think back to the moment that you gave your life to him. Maybe it was during Sunday school. Maybe vacation Bible school. Maybe youth camp. Maybe it was in the quietness of your room with your parent praying with you. Some of you have had that moment that you can remember. Now, there are many here, I imagine, who cannot necessarily pinpoint and remember the exact day or time. And that's okay. Maybe you grew up in the church, in the faith. It's hard to remember exactly the day or time. That's okay. But we can all look back to that season when we gave our life to Jesus. At that moment, our eternity was secure. But I want you to consider something for me today. Whether you remember that specific day or night, not. Now, don't misunderstand me here. That was a wonderful event, wonderful time. That time should not necessarily be the pinnacle of our faith. And, and I'll explain what I mean by that. The best days of our relationship with Jesus here on earth can and should still be ahead of us. Because if I gave my faith, my life to Christ when I was five years old, and I'll say, oh, it's all downhill from here. Yes, my eternity may be secure, but what kind of life is that here on earth? So I believe firmly that our best days in our relationship with Jesus Christ here on earth can and should still be ahead of us, whether we are 80 years old or 8 years old. In other words, I believe you and I can look more and more like Jesus with each passing day. I believe so. And, and by the way, the way we look more like Jesus is to be more compassionate, more forgiving, more self-sacrificing. Our best days should not be behind us. Amen? They should not be behind us. And again, I reiterate, whether you are 80, 90, or 8 or 9, our best days with Jesus Christ can and still should be ahead of us. What that means is he's continuing to change everything about us. Now, for most of us, for most of you, it's taking a lot of time, all right? For me, it's taking a long, long time. But here's something that I want to encourage you with. I look at my life, and I'm different than I was five years ago. I'm different than I was ten years ago. I'm different now than I was a year ago. Because of Jesus Christ. And, and I hope you can say the same thing. As you look in the mirror, you know, I'm different. Jesus is changing me every day. And I'm looking more and more like him. I'm becoming more compassionate, 
I'm becoming kinder. I'm becoming less cynical. I'm becoming more forgiving and more compassionate and more self-sacrificing. He's making a difference in our lives. I see it. I see it in your lives. Because that's what light does to darkness, right? John talks so much about light and darkness in his writings. As long as there's light, and as long as that light is allowed to shine, there's no way that darkness can overcome it. And we're going to talk so much more about this light next Sunday. Until then, if you have Jesus in your life today, did you know that you are the light of the world? And there really is no better season than the one we're in right now to shine that light. So here's my encouragement to you this week. When we wake up tomorrow morning, may we be more compassionate than today, more patient, especially during the season when the parking lots are busier. Be more patient, especially when the checkout lines are much longer. Be patient. And when the sample lines at Costco are much longer, be patient. Just take one sample, all right? I was at Costco the other day, and the guy before me, he said, oh, can I have another one? He came back for thirds because the salami was that good. There's no better season than the one we're in to shine the light. So this week, be like Christ. Be compassionate, be kind, be forgiving, be self-sacrificing. In other words, be more like Jesus. Allow him to change you this week. Would you bow with me? Oh, Father, we are so grateful for your word. We're so thankful for the word. And thank you for revealing the word to us. And help us to be like him each and every day. Lord Jesus, I just pray that my life would be so, so transformed by you that everywhere I go, Everywhere I go, that people would see Jesus in me. I pray that for myself and for my church family, especially in this season. Help us to be like you, Jesus. We pray all these things in your precious name. Amen.